Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's, it's a joy and a privilege to get to wrap up to conclude our, our series called The Gift. We have been looking at this series through the Christmas season uh, and talking about the gift that God gave to us. The gift isn't wrapped in a box. I'm not even going to pick this up this time because uh, Sharon and her team filled it with like bricks or something. Uh, I've been picking it up and I almost threw my back out last service trying to pick that thing up. But the gift is this series that we've been living in uh, and we've been enjoying talking about the gift that God gave us. We've used this quote uh, that the life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities. The beginning of his life was a virgin's womb and the end of his life was the empty tomb. And we, we rejoice, we celebrate with the fact that God in his great love for us, that he gave us a gift. And we celebrate that around Christmas time, the, the birth of Christ, the, the virgin birth, the miracle of what that is. And then around Easter time, we always celebrate uh, that, that he conquered death, that he rose again, the empty tomb. And so we really, during these moments, during the season, we celebrate, we reflect, we, we take time to pause and think about what God has done for us. And th- so through this series, we've looked at different aspects of the gift, that, that if Jesus is the gift that God gave us through Christ, What are some of the gifts, the other side advantages that we experience from that? The very first one we talked about in week one of this series was family, that that through Christ, God made a way for us to be adopted, for us to be um, enter into his family, that he would become our heavenly father, that we can be sons and daughters of the living king of God. Because of Christ, our phrase was we have the option for adoption. Many of you um, talk to your neighbors, your family, your coworkers about, hey, you too can have the option for adoption to be a part of God's family, that we have a heavenly father who made a way for us to be a part of his family. And the question we asked in week one was, will you receive it? Will you receive the gift that God has given to us? Through this whole series, we've talked about the connections between the giver and the gift. When someone gives you a gift, what do you do? You open it, right? You, you delight in it. You rejoice with what they've given you, and then you, you use it. You experience it. You enjoy it. So then in week two, we talked about we have a heavenly hope. Because of Jesus, because of the gift that God has given us, we have a heavenly hope. It's not an earthly hope. It's not a, a, a shot in the dark. It's not... It, it's not, you know, winning the lottery. It's, it's a secure, confident hope because of Jesus. And the question we asked is, will you hold on to it? Will you hold on to hope? Will that heavenly hope impact and affect everything in your life? Then we talked about joy, that because of Jesus, we can have joy in all circumstances. No matter what comes our way, we can have and experience true joy. The acronym we used was that Jesus offers you joy, J-O-Y. Jesus offers you hope. He offers you to be a part of his family. He offers you joy. He offers you peace. He offers you love. He offers you all kinds of things that because of Jesus, we can have joy in all circumstances. Will you choose joy? was the question we asked in week three. Then in week four, two weeks ago, we talked about because of Jesus, because of being in Christ, accepting, receiving the gift that God gave us, we have become part of his family. We're sons and daughters. We're in him. 
and how that shifts our perspective that then in Christ we have peace through the power of perspective. For those who are in Christ, we can have peace. We talked about a peace that that surpasses all understanding. We ask, can you see it? Can, Can you see? Is that your perspective to see life through the lens of peace, the power of perspective that comes from receiving the gift of Jesus? This morning, we're gonna talk about love. Love. How? How do you talk about love in 25, 30 minutes when the whole Bible talks about love? I kind of had a little moment where I was starting to, to panic thinking about preparing to speak on love. This whole book talks about love. How do you do that? And, and I, I was thinking like, what would Pastor R do? <laughs> How would he talk about love? Well, I thought first we would just kind of talk about the word love in our culture. Have you guys thought about this? The word love, our children are in the service, maybe they can kind of help us out. Think about some of the things that you love, right? And and in the same sentence or in the same thought, you can think, I love coffee and I love my mom. Kids, maybe let's put it more on your level. I love pizza and I love my mom. Mothers, your hearts go pitter-patter when you hear that? Mom, I love... I love tacos, and I love you too. Oh, thank you. Wow. Right? Like, think about, the, we, don't, we don't really have good words. We use the word like. Well, I like coffee, but I love my mom, right? Is that any better? Not necessarily a little bit. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. In our culture today, we, we have words like lust, something that we really, really want. We, we might lust after it. We have all these different ideas of what love is. And so I thought maybe it would be helpful if I made you a list of some things that I love. Now, just free-flowing off the top of my head, I just started writing some things down that I love. Okay, these are in no particular order. Let me be very clear. No particular order. That got me in trouble last service. People must not have heard that part. These are not in any particular order. All right? Here's some things that I love. I love sleep. I love coffee. I love the Bible. Whew. Some of you are like, good, it made the list. <laughs> Jesus is in there too, don't worry. I see what you're thinking. Not yet. I love, I love sleep. I love coffee. I love the Bible. I love food. When I think of food and my love for food, I immediately think of tacos. I love tacos. I love Bethany. She's on there too. <laughs> I love baseball. I love technology. I love Cohen, my son. I love family. I love friends. Did I mention I love coffee? Yeah? No? Some of you need some coffee. All right. I love Jesus. Now, when, when, when I make a list like that and you, you just kind of lump them all together, like, what do you think? Like, wow, he's really passionate about coffee. <laughs> he said it twice. Honestly, like, does that help us kind of understand love? No, it just muddies the water because we keep using the same word every time. So how do we define this? How do we talk about what love really is? How do we really understand it? And before we get started, before we dive too deep here, I want to give you the bottom line. I want to sum it all up in this. I am loved because God is love and he first loved me. That's our our big idea for today, that I am loved because God is love and he first loved me. Now let's 
break that down through the context of this morning. We're going to look at some passages of Scripture that will hopefully help us understand that and see it more clearly. But I thought it might be helpful if we go back and we look at the Greek. The the entire New Testament was written, the earliest manuscripts in Greek. And in the Greek language, they had four different words to explain the different kinds of love that they meant. The first was a word, Greek, uh, called eros, which from this we get our English word erotic. Eros was the word that often used to express sexual love or the feelings that are aroused that are shared between two people who are physically attracted to each other. Might be a little awkward to think about that, right? The Bible talks about eros love, but it doesn't actually mention that word. It's in the context of marriage. In fact, there's a whole book on that, Song of Solomon, but the New Testament specifically doesn't even mention that word. Another Greek word is storge. It's a Greek word that refers to a natural or familial love, a family love within connections between family relationships, a love for a parent to a child or a husband to a wife or a sibling to another. It's the context of family, but we don't see that word in Scripture either in the Greek. Philea is another one that refers to brotherly love. This one is mentioned a few times in the New Testament, but it's often exhibited in a close friendship. In a close friendship. Best friends will display this generous and affectionate love for each other as they seek to make each other happy. Our current words for that might be your best friend, your BFF, your bestie. Now it's your squad because it can't just be one person. Right? It's, it's the idea that, that it's relationships, that love is expressed in relationships. But the one that we see time and time again throughout the New Testament, especially and even into the Old Testament, is the word agape. Agape love is this Greek word that the Bible uses again and again. And it refers to a bigger, a sacrificial love. And rather than me trying to take The next 10 or 15 minutes to explain it, I found a video. I love the internet, don't you guys? I said I love technology, right? There's a website called gotquestions.org. If you're not familiar with it, I would highly encourage you to check it out. Well, they made a short couple-minute video that explains agape love far better than I will be able to explain it. So let's just watch that. What is agape love? We are going to answer that question. The Greek word agape is often translated as love in the New Testament. How is agape love different from other types of love? The essence of agape love is goodwill, benevolence, and a willful delight in the object of love. Unlike our English word, love, agape is not used in the New Testament to refer to romantic or sexual love. Nor does it refer to a close friendship or brotherly love, for which the Greek word phila is used. Agape love involves faithfulness, commitment, and an act of the will. It is distinguished from other types of love by its lofty moral nature and strong character. Agape love is beautifully described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Outside the New Testament, the word agape is used in a variety of contexts, but the New Testament gives it a distinct meaning. Agape is used to describe the love that is of and from God. God is love. God does not merely love. He is love itself. Everything God does flows from His love. Agape is also used to describe our love for God, 
a servant's faithful respect to his master, and a man's attachment to things. The type of love that characterizes God is not a sappy, sentimental feeling that we often hear portrayed. God loves because it is his nature and the expression of his being. He loves the unlovable and unlovely, not because we deserve to be loved, but because it is his nature to love and God must be true to his nature. Agape love is always shown by what it does. God's love is displayed most clearly at the cross. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We did not deserve such a sacrifice, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is unmerited, gracious, and constantly seeking the benefit of the ones he loves. We don't deserve his lavish agape love. God's demonstration of agape love led to the sacrifice of his own son for those he loves. We are to love others with agape love, whether they are fellow believers or bitter enemies. Jesus gave us the parable of the Good Samaritan as an example of sacrifice for the sake of others, even those who are against us. Agape love modeled by Christ is not based on a feeling. Rather, it is a determined act of the will, a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others above our own. Agape love does not come naturally to us. Because of our fallen nature, we are incapable of producing such a love. If we are to love as Christ loves, that love, that agape, can only come from its source. This is the love that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us when we became his children. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Because of God's love toward us, we are able to love one another. That answers the question, what is agape love? Be sure to research this question further on our website, gotquestions.org. Isn't that so helpful? To understand what agape love is, that it comes from God because he is love. That's his nature, that's his character, that's, that's, it's just who he is. And apart from him, we can't love. If you want to get on your your wife or your your kid's good side, I agape love you, right? It, it, It separates it. It makes it different. It puts it in that context. But remember, it's sacrificial. It's a sacrificial kind of love. I got to thinking uh, this week as I was preparing, I started thinking, I wonder where the first reference of love actually is in the Bible. Does anybody know? Anybody just raise your hand? You think you know where the first reference of, of love is? People who were here last service are raising their hand. Okay, cheaters. Um, I had to look it up because I thought, you know, it's probably in the context of creation, right? God is our creator that out of his love, he, he created, you know, man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he, he, you know, talks about it was good. Yes, that's there, but it doesn't actually say the word love. The first place you find it is in Genesis chapter 22, in verse 2, where God had made this promise to Abraham. I will make you the father of many nations, he says. And then years and years and years, Abraham was well along in years. 
God finally gave him a son, Isaac. And then God says in, Ab- in, in Genesis 22, verse 2, he says to Abraham, Abraham, take the, the son whom you love, there it is, and sacrifice him. Wait, what? Like, I remember the first time I heard that story and I was like, God, are you kidding? That, that can't be real. Like, is that really in the Bible? That God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and gave him a son whom he loved, Isaac. And then God asked him to, to sacrifice his son. If you read that chapter, Abraham, it says, early the next morning he gets up and he takes Isaac, his son, who, who's old enough to walk and carry the wood and ask where's the ram for the, the burnt offering. And they set out on a journey and Abraham is probably just beside himself because he loves his son that God finally gave to him. And at the very last minute where Abraham, it says that he's, he's tied up Isaac. He's laid him on the altar. You, you just kind of picture that. He's, he's laid on the altar and he's getting ready to, to end his son's life as, as being obedient to God. And God says, wait, wait, Abraham. There in the bush is a ram. Now, and God even says, now that I know that you love me more than anything, that song earlier we were singing, there's no one higher, that there's no one higher, there's no greater name than, than his. It's that same idea that, that God says, Abraham, now that I know that you love me, here's a ram. He, he tested Abraham. And see, this is beautiful foreshadowing because this sacrificial love, the first time the word love is mentioned in the Bible, Genesis 22, 2, God also sacrificed by sending his own son, his one and only son from heaven to earth as the sacrificial lamb for us, for me, for you that we could have right relationship with him. Our sins separate us from a holy God. There's a penalty for our sin, which the Bible says is death. And so God made a way by sending his son to die for us, to take our place. That's incredible love. One of the most well-known verses on love that, that gets quoted time and time again is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that what? Agape. That he gave. That he sacrificed his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. I wish that, that I could kind of just open up our, our hearts and our minds to get a glimpse of God's great love for us this morning, but I don't know that I can do that because I don't even know that I fully even understand it myself. When, when I think about love, I often think like, you know, humanly speaking, we just, I have to earn it. I have to be good or I have to do better or I have to do something with excellence or do something right in order for people to love me. And that's just not how it works. I don't see that in God's word. 
It's God's nature to love. He created us to be in relationship with him because he loves us. Two of the passages that we saw in that video, that agape love video, the first one was Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, which says this, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's incredible. Another verse, Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, can, can we just linger for a second there? The, the penalty that we deserved was hell, was death. And God in his great love gave his son, his one and only son, to take my place and yours, to pay the price that I deserved. If that's not sacrificial, godly, agape love, <laughs> that, that is the definition of what this is. In John 15, Jesus, he's speaking with his disciples. There's a passage that through this series we keep coming back to to look at because it's applicable to all of these ideas, understanding that, that Jesus is the gift He's preparing his disciples in John chapter 15 for his time on earth to come to an end. And he's speaking with them and he's explaining this agape love. Greatly so in the context of relationships. Let's look at this, John 15 verses 9 through 17. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Jesus says. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. This, he says, is my commandment, that, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends Verse 14, he says, And you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the name of my Father... He may give to you these things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. The word love here is mentioned nine different times and it's each within the context of relationship, whether Jesus with his father, whether Jesus with his disciples or even us as his readers and then between us and others that we love. I am loved because God is love. And chose to love me. We see that here, that he loved us first. It's incredible to think about the author of who is writing this. See, John had named himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Kind of like, haha, I'm better than the rest of you guys. Jesus loved me. John wrote this book, the book of John, but he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And if we skip over to 1st John... 
In chapter 4, we see more about love. He, he seemed to love love. He wrote about it all through the book of John. And if you read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you'll see it over and over and over again. As we look in 1st in John chapter 4, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, writes to his readers and he says, Beloved. He calls us beloved. He says, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, he's trying to explain this to us and, and to make it really, really simple. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's pretty simple, right? It's helpful. He goes on and he says, in this the love of God was made manifest, was made known among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him, through his death and resurrection that we would live through him. He says, verse 10, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation, that's kind of a big word that, that means this basic idea of, of appeasement, their satisfaction for the price that needed to be paid. See, there was an offense. Our sin, I said earlier, separates us from God. He's offended at our sin. And yet propitiation means that, he, that Jesus made us right. There's two parts. The satisfaction of his offense and the reconciliation that we could be made right with him. That we can have a good, holy, perfect relationship with him. Verse 11, he again says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Now here's where for maybe some of us we stop reading. Because we're kind of like, okay, I'm good to just think and talk about God's love for me. Awesome. God loves me. He's going to display his love for me in all kinds of different ways. Thank you, God. I just want to bask in the, the glory of your love. Oh, awesome. Let's sing songs about it. But wait. Because of God's love, you ought to love one another. Uh, I don't know. Think about this. Are there people that are easy to love? Yes. Absolutely there are. Right? I'm one of those people. <laughs> maybe <laughs> some of you were like there are there are people who are easy to love and yet there are people who are really difficult to love right you're like I will love anybody but that guy maybe it's a family member maybe you're like I cannot believe that she married him maybe it's a co-worker you avoid them you see them coming you duck down the hallway into the bathroom you don't even have to go because you don't want to love them but God's word says, look, if we really understand his great love for us and that we can't even love anyone or anything apart from him, that by abiding, that, that word means to remain in him, that being a part of his family, that being a son and daughter of, of God, that in Christ we have love. We are loved. He is love. And his love should be on display in and through us. Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. 
He keeps going in verse 12. He says, no one, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love, check this out, is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. His love is made perfect in us. I'm not perfect. I don't love perfectly, but we can by abiding in him, by being in him. By this, verse 13, he says, we know that, that, that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we've seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. This keeps like going on and on. He says in verse 17, by this love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. That's that hope that we have, that gift. Because as he is so, also are we in this world. Check out verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Think about this for, for just a second. The connection between love and fear. It says, he's John, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who the author of, of love, talks about perfect love casts out fear. I, I had to do some research on this, and, and I found that that our brains kind of fire on one of two emotions fundamentally, either love or fear. And everything else is, is categorized under one of those two categories. Emotionally speaking, our brains fire on either love or fear. Fear, we have fears. There's lots of fears. You might think, I'm afraid of snakes or spider. Some of you are afraid of rejection or being alone. Some of you are afraid of public speaking or heights. Or There's all kinds of fears. Fear of indecision. Fear of being rejected. And yet, if you think about it, perfect love casts out fear. The love that God has for us, being secure, confident, hopeful in that understanding that there's nothing that we could do that would, that would cause God to love us less or more. That he is love. He's the source of love. And that in Christ, receiving the gift that God gave us in Christ, we too can have love and experience it perfectly. Wow. Perfect love casts out fear. Love strengthens and empowers us. Love gives us the courage to, to move forward in something. Fear weakens and disables us. It hinders us. Fear prevents us from experiencing anything perfectly. Being paralyzed perfectly in fear, maybe. Perfect love casts out fear, John says. Verse 19, he then goes on and he says, we love because he first loved us. 
We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 21, in this commandment, we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. My parents knew when I was in middle school that I was going to be a pastor because I would quote that verse. I have two sisters. And I'd say, I don't have to love them because the Bible didn't say so. I thought I was pretty smart. <laughs> but what I didn't realize is that there are lots of other verses that say you have to love everyone. If, if, if we understand how much God loves us, we ought to love others. Look, this is so crazy to think about, to understand God's great love for us, that he would do anything, that he did, that he sent his son to, to make a way for us to be right with him, for us to even be able to be in a relationship with him. He broke that barrier. There's great connection here between being a part of his family, having joy and peace and hope. It's all connected through love because he loves us. The idea here is that I am loved because God is love and first loved me. But I would tweak it in just this way to say that I can love. I can love because he is love and he first loved me. When I experience that, man, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Do you, do you think that God can grow your love? Ever thought about this? That God can, can expand your love and increase your, your ability, your capability to love? Ever thought about this? When, when I was growing up, I, I loved baseball. Like The world just kind of revolved around baseball. There are times, I'll be honest, it still does. <laughs> but God grew my, my love. I, I thought it, it, life was all about baseball. But then I'm at Bethany. I was like, man, I fell in love. Like, real love. And I thought that was like the greatest thing ever. And then we, then we got a dog. And I loved our dog. And I was like, man, I've never felt this way before. I always wanted a dog. We never had a dog. It's like, man, this is love. And then we had Cohen. And now I'm like, I don't even care about the dog. I love my son. Right? Like, this is amazing. See, God's grown my my heart, my capacity to love. Some of you have like eight, nine, ten kids. I can't even imagine <laughs> your level of love. But God does that. He, he, he grows us. We can love because he is love and he first loved us. So we can love others. There's someone in your life that you think, I, I, don't, I don't like that verse. I, I don't want to, ought to love them. They're hard to love. And yet if we think about this, this idea that, that God made a way that we could have right relationship with him by sending his son, the, the perfect gift, Jesus, and that, that through having been adopted as, as a son and a daughter of God's family and experiencing the love that only he can give, why is that something that we would want to keep to ourselves? Why wouldn't we want to love other people? To allow them to know and experience the kind of love that we have 
that we've been given, that we've experienced, that we've enjoyed, that we've used, that we've put into practice. It seems quite selfish, doesn't it? That we would keep that to ourselves. Perfect love casts out fear. You say, I'm afraid to love people. God can grow your capacity. Here's the thing. Now that I'm a dad, Cohen, he's, he's learning to speak, and he's, just, he's 18 months old. He, he says like two words, three maybe, daddy, mommy, and ball. That's cool. When, when he says daddy, and he's, he's kind of in his crib in the morning, and he's, he's waking up, and he's just kind of singing, and all of a sudden you hear that, daddy, oh my goodness, my, my ears just immediately like are locked into what he's saying. And, and I'm just attentive to his Every need, I want to go and I want to be near him. I'll go into his room and I'll, I'll pick him up out of his crib and I just want to hold him and snuggle him and tell him how much I love him and, and tell him I'll, I'll do anything for you. I'll give you whatever you need. And then as soon as I say that, I'm like, well, to an extent, because I know there's going to come a day when you're a teenager and you're going to ask me for something that you don't really need, but I'm not going to give it to you because I want, I want what's best for you. Because I love you. Isn't God the same? Aren't there things that we say, God, if you really love me, you'd give me this. It doesn't work that way. God says, I know what's best for you. And he's near when we cry out, Abba, Father. He's here. He's with us. And not just that, he's, he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. The scripture teaches us of, of the omniscience of God, the, the omnipotence of God, that, that he's, he's with us. He knows everything, and yet he loves us, and he's all-powerful to do what we need, what's best for us because of his love. This agape love is sacrificial. He understands because he gave. I'm gonna invite the praise team to come up and they're going to close us out in a song that we introduced a couple weeks ago. It's called, I Will Look Up. As we sing this song, we, we sang no one greater earlier. We can do that if we're honest. We can, we can kind of put other people or things on, on a pedestal higher than God at times. Where we worship the, that person or those things more than we worship God. And that's a hard one to sing. But this song, the, the, I Will Look Up, we introduced it a couple weeks ago. I, I want, as we, as we sing this song, I want you to just kind of fix your mind on this past year. It's, it's New Year's Eve. Look back. Think, think about your 2017. And think about all of the ways that God has expressed his love to you. The ways that he's, he's shown his love to you. The many blessings that you've had. The fact that you had 365 days of breathing <laughs> is incredible. He's the source of love. And here's what I want us to do as we, as we sing and as we kind of think about this next year, as we think about 2018, to think about the fact that, that God loves us and that we ought to love others. To think about the fact that I can love because he is love and I'm in him and he first loved me. He showed it to me. He modeled it. He example, gave me an example to follow that we can love. And as we do that, as we go out and we share that love of Christ in 2018 to think about the impact that we could have for God's kingdom 
to advance the gospel, to tell people about this great love that we have, that they can have too. It's incredible. I hope that you'll sing with us. Make this your prayer.